and we are recording welcome back to another podcast aka nick and i'm here with the lovely emma johannes hi did i say that last name right yes yes (laughs) i've murdered a lot of people's last names so (laughs) it's good to know um took us a while to get started up so sorry about that don't apologize okay apology retracted (laughs) um so emma you are a new graduate yes and we were just talking about how hard it is for you to find a job right now in your field in California where you want to move. So why don't you kind of touch on that a little bit more? Yeah, I was just saying how, like, um, it's weird right now with COVID and everything going on um, and just trying to figure out the next steps and especially, like, graduating early. All my friends are still in school right now. Um, so I'm just trying to figure out my next step. Um, so I've applied to like 30 different jobs in California. In the beginning, I wanted to go into environmental education or, um, I don't know, just something where I'm like informing others about the importance of the environment, um, and conservation. And recently, as I've been like job searching, I found a lot more potential in, um, like, field work and uh, data analysis and, like, lab assistant positions. There's a really cool job I applied for the other day that was, like, an assistant scientist for a, a tuna research company. So, basically, I'd be, like, fishing all day, which, you know, I love to fish, and then um, just doing, like, research with that. But to be honest, like, I'm not very picky about where I'm going next, and I'm kind of just going to gonna play it by ear as long as i'm doing something good i guess good yeah okay sorry about that um so you were talking about data analysis and i gotta be honest with you that sounds pretty fucking boring based on the one data analysis class i took Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah i mean like it's not my dream job obviously um but it's in the long run would be doing something super beneficial for um, just having more research and um, just bettering the conservation field. So, I mean, it would feel productive to me, like, to be able to do that. But it's not at all, like, what I would choose to do if I had to choose anything. Right. It's like any entry-level job, right? I mean, so I guess where does that – where would that lead you to as far as – obviously it would depend on what field that was in and Mm -hmm. something like that, but what would be the end goal there? If I went into, like, data analysis or field work. Mm -hmm. So if I started as, like, a field biologist um, or a wildlife biologist, I could potentially move up to, like, a project manager. I could move up to um, a curator. I could could move up to some really big-time positions over time. Um, But the other thing that comes with that is that a lot of times you need your master's, you need your Ph.D., um, and that's something that I've bounced back and forth between doing too. And I did apply for a master's program that would start in summer, um, just to have that as an option, but I have not heard back yet. <laughs> so it seems to me like any kind of research based position like that, uh, whether it's biology, anthropology, chemistry and stuff like that, <clears throat> everything seems to lead to more work as far as like, you know, you need your P- 
PhD, you need your whatever it is, any kind of higher degree. And then that's when you do your like your most research, right? When you're doing like your doctorate and stuff like that. Yeah. Is yeah. that about right? Yeah. And like that does not sound fun to me. Like I do not want to be in charge of a bunch of biologists like collecting data for this small project that's not going to save the world. Like that's not what I want to do. But like at this point, I don't know what I want to do. So I guess I have to, to choose things to do and rule out what I hate in order to figure out what I'm doing. And like in a perfect world, I would want to be like a wildlife rehabilitator. Okay, so what's stopping you from going after that? Um, money. <laughs> and I hate to be that person, but I grew up in a family where, like, money was very tight. My parents still borrow money from me now. Um, and I, I think that that value of being financially stable, as unimportant to me as it is, it's, it's still extremely important to me. And I know that I have to go into something where I can make that happen for myself and for potentially my family down the road. Um, I don't want to rely on on anyone else or anything else. That's a big motivator, right? I mean, you want to find that fine balance. It's not about, I mean, if you're doing what you love, yeah, you'll ultimately be happier. But if you're doing something you can tolerate and also you're financially stable enough to where, you know, you don't have to worry about your next paycheck as much and stuff like that. Yeah, there is a fine balance. And in your field, especially that's challenging, right? Because mm-hmm. you like you said, you have to get up to those higher level positions, you have to start publishing work and stuff like that. That's right. when people start to make more money. But mm-hmm. again, none of those people got into it because of money, right? No. And all those people are miserable, yep. to be honest, like they're working nine to fives. They're working past that. Um, they're just stressing themselves out so much and they're not home often. And you can ask any of my friends and my family. I've always said I'm, I'm not working a nine to five. And I'm never working a nine to five. And like maybe that's Brooke will tell you that's naive of me, but um, I don't know. And maybe it comes from currently I'm a server and I, I go in for four hours and I make more than enough money and I leave and I can live the rest of my life. And I have my off days and it's a luxury right now and it's a lifestyle I really enjoy. Um, but it might not be what I get to do forever. I might have to work that nine to five. We'll see. Yeah, and I mean, you kind of set the pace for that, right? As far as what your standard of living is, right? Like, if you want to go on vacations and you want an extravagant lifestyle, it's all about living within your means. And so I think it is attainable to a certain extent, uh, no matter what industry you're in. Obviously, if it's whatever, if it's any kind of scientific field um, where you're Mm -hmm. doing data analysis or whatever it might be, I don't know what the pay grade generally is for that, but again... I had to think at some, in some part, it is attainable depending on what your standard of living is, right? Right. I mean, for me, I know I wa- I would like to be, you know, what drew me away from anything that truly called me as far as studying, one, I didn't really have that. Two, it was, well, I want to make enough money to where I don't have to worry about it, but I also do want to be able to afford the luxuries that I like, golfing, yes. traveling, and stuff like that. Yeah. And... It's not like, yeah, I never had a drive to do insurance growing up, right? I can oh, really? <laughs> very <laughs> few people have a drive to do insurance. <laughs> and so you're attracted to the lifestyle. You see these guys rolling around in nice cars and going to the golf club and, yes. you know, still getting to spend time with their families. And it's that's very attractive. And I think, you know, a lot of times it can work out where if you get involved enough with what you love and what you like doing, mm-hmm. you can make money and start to become more financially stable 
as a secondary. Mm-hmm. So you start to add that on top of, or you start to accumulate money, not even knowing just because you're doing what you love so much. But right. that is not super common right now, especially in the states. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it all depends on like how you just said, like what you want your quality of life to be. And like for me, I know I love my routine. I love get. I have to go to the gym most days, or else I'll. My anxiety is just. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have to have that, and I know myself, and, like, I have to have that free time, too, and so I'm not going to choose something where I don't have the ability to have those things because then my mental health will plummet. I can't do that to myself, you know, and so many people, like, say that, too, and and have that problem, too, and they have to work all the time, and it's really sad, and so I think right now I'm just... Like I said, maybe I'm being naive, but if I manifest, like, this lifestyle that I want for myself and, and put it into the open and, and say it out loud, then then it'll happen for me, and that's that's what I'm thinking right now. Yeah, absolutely. It's a mindset. Mm-hmm. I mean, you get into it what you – or you get out of it what you put into it, right? Yeah. Have you thought about nonprofit work or anything like that? Because, I mean, being the leader of a nonprofit, a rewarding experience alone, but also there's opportunity for connections and – a fairly well standard of living in there. Yeah, absolutely. That's crossed my mind a lot. Um, and I mean, that's such a valuable career. Like you get so much out of that. I would feel like such a great person if I could, if I could do that every day and make my living off of that. Um, I honestly just don't think I know enough about that yet. And I wouldn't know what exactly, um, there's so many issues that run through my mind. Um, so many things that need, help and attention um and i would not know where to focus that on yet yeah absolutely i mean and it's all trial and error when you go to college right obviously i went to a food distribution company as a sales rep hated Mm -hmm. my life (laughs) and i you know i never looked back after i left and right now i'm really happy with where i'm at but who knows in 10 years and that's i mean 10 years is probably pushing it as far as trying to start a new career but people do it all the time yeah yeah and that's what I just read this book. <coughs> I forget. It's called 101 Secrets to Your 20s. And it was a g- it was a good book. You should read it. Okay. Um how old are you? 25. 25. Yeah, read it. Um but it was just saying like, yeah, traditionally you you get out of college and you start your career and you and you build up and maybe you don't like what you're doing and at 23 you start something else, but that book was kind of saying like challenge those boundaries like you're going to live to at least like 70 hopefully right mm-hmm. so start whatever you want whenever you want and like i'm gonna try and do that i guess yeah that's a really good point i mean <coughs> right now we're just starting to get to that point where secondary education is while it's valued and yeah in a lot of positions it's required that you have a uh, bachelor's at the very least right mm-hmm. but i think we're starting to turn a corner here where people start to value experience over formal education. Right. And I think that's a crucial turning point and for people who choose not to go to college and just want to explore and what's going on, but there's such a huge, and especially for people, I don't know, I want to say, what year were you born? 1999. 1999. I would say probably up until 2005 for people like that, the pressure to go to college is pretty intense right oh yeah it was not even a question for Mm -hmm. me or my siblings right which is funny because i'm um first generation 
so my parent my parents didn't go to college my grandparents didn't go to college um and it was still you're going to college like I just knew that uh, but it was what I wanted to do too it's not like they forced me or anything right. it was just an expectation it's the society we grew up in and when we graduated everybody in my high school went to college for the most part you know mm-hmm. so well and you see that I mean you can see a lot of pressure from kids who are you know like you first generation from their parents who didn't go to school there's you know like listen there's gonna be a lot of better better opportunities if you have a degree which as of right now is true i mean i Mm -hmm. the reason i got my position at shamrock foods was because i had a degree Mm -hmm. you know i was up against a lot of candidates who are a lot more experienced than me and Mm -hmm. actually wanted the position for me it was just an out-of-school job right and i needed a salary and benefits Mm -hmm. and so there's something there is something to be said about holding a degree i don't think it necessarily says the same thing that it used to it doesn't really hold the same value that it used to now it's just an expectation right but i do think experience speaks for itself you know and a lot of cases yeah you know that obviously if you're in the medical field or engineering architecture anything any kind of technical degree like that you (coughs) want a degree yeah right Mm -hmm. but yeah i think you're right but i do think and i'm hoping anyway that we're turning a corner where there's not as much pressure for people to go to college as there is now i mean i didn't really have a lot of pressure to go but again like at least from my parents, but again, from people around me and yeah. everybody, all my friends and everybody else, I was like, man, I really need to go to college, otherwise I'm gonna be a piece of shit, which doesn't right. have to be the <laughs> case, and is proving more and more not to be the case. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's just like my brother. I have a brother who's 17, and he's a senior in high school right now, and he is not a school person. And bless his heart, because he grew up with my sister and I, um, who straight A's all through high school, went straight into college, like. That's just how we were built. Um, he is so different. He doesn't want to go to college. He honestly shouldn't go. Like, he's not ready for that, and that's not something that interests him. But, like, what el- he doesn't know what else to, to do or where else to go. And, like, that's a really uncomfortable feeling. Yeah. Even, like, I, I feel that right now. Like, I, I'm graduated and have really nothing. Um, like, I have my job right now, but it's not something that's – pushing me anywhere it's not something it's very constant for me so i feel for people like luke my brother like he he has nowhere to go but college in his mind right and there's there is something to be said about that if you are going to college because it's expected of you then it's very hard to be motivated in college right yeah i mean so often you see kids dropping out Mm -hmm. after the first year or first semester because it's like well I felt pressure to go to college. I'm now failing all my classes. Um, and you're in debt. And you're in debt. <laughs> and yeah. So it's, it's very hard. It's a very tough position. Um, I always – I feel like, though, if you're not going to go into college right away, you work and you travel, right? You get those experiences in and you do whatever you can to become more distinguished and more rounded out as an individual. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of people like that find their way into something that they love and right. a very – good position in life yeah that gap year i think is going to become more um common and i think it's super important i wish i did that i'm sure you do oh too. i absolutely do it's insane to be expected to know exactly what you want to do and exactly what you want to major in when you're 17 years old right i changed my major four times mm-hmm. like you don't know what you're doing <laughs> right and why should you when you're that young and you shouldn't i mean again it's just the it's a social norm now mm-hmm. Again, hopefully that changes, and hopefully it's, I mean, not frowned upon to not go to school the first year. But, I mean, my friend Chris, 
he absolutely had all the tools to become a success in whatever he's doing. Mm -hmm. And he had a full academic scholarship to ASU, but he knew that college wasn't for him. He got in there. He said, this is way too stupid, like cookie cuttery. You know, you're just throwing us into classes that aren't really going to teach us about the career we're going into. Right. And that's, I guess, my biggest problem with school in general is that it doesn't really prepare you for the position you're going to be in, nor does it really prepare you for life. Right. It's not, I mean, it prepares you to be studious and studious uh, studious studious <laughs> thank you for that <laughs> studious studious <laughs> whatever sorry <laughs> I, you wouldn't have known i went to college for five years yeah clearly you didn't learn anything <laughs> clearly i did not <laughs> but it teaches you to be persistent too i mean you're working for something right mm -hmm. and that's about it now and that's what people want to see yeah I totally agree with that, and I think that's the biggest thing that I've realized after graduating is that when I was in school, I had a purpose, and I would finish an assignment, and I'd feel really good about it, um, and I was constantly working towards something, and now I, I, d I did it, I achieved it, I have my diploma, and now I don't feel purposeless, I'm not going to be dramatic, but like, I have a lot, I'm not working on anything right now, mm -hmm. it's hard. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's sometimes it's hard to translate that into something else. I know mm -hmm. <coughs> it would be the next step is to challenge yourself. Okay, I need to find a job. I need to apply myself in this job to get certain deadlines done and stuff like yes. that. And so for me, it was, as well as most people, I'm sure, difficult to translate that. Okay, when this next assignment is due, what's next, mm -hmm. right? You're always looking for that next phase, that yeah. next thing. Where and sometimes there's deadlines. You're yeah. Sometimes you're just treading water, though. Yeah. And I think – it's hard for a lot of people to have free time when, again, it's a social norm to be constantly chasing that next thing. Yeah. So it is hard to appreciate what you've done and what you have for, you know, too long of a length of time before you start to get anxious about where you're going and what's next. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I can totally relate to that. And, like, for a month after I graduated, I was just happy-go-lucky. I had all that free time. I mm -hmm. loved it. And then it got uncomfortable. And then I got a little depressed and a little anxious. And I was like, and I'm sure you can relate to this, like, okay, well, I have four hours before I have to go to work. And I already went to the gym. And I already ate lunch. Like, I don't know what to do. Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> how long did it take you to find your job at Shamrock after you graduated? So I worked for the entire summer after I graduated and then got a job. Well, actually up until December of the following okay so it would have been what from may until december yeah that's that's really good that's which like is fairly normal yeah um yeah. but again it wasn't it was just the pressure that everyone else was putting on me mm -hmm. or that i thought everyone else was putting on me i'm sure everyone would have been fine if i had stayed a bartender right but you know it's that pressure you put on yourself yeah because you have that degree it's like well i paid thirty five thousand dollars for this degree now it's time to try and put it towards something mm -hmm. useful yep that's exactly how I feel, and I think that's, like, a huge thing that I've been reading about and just manifesting and trying to um, just slow down, because, like, in other countries, and this is just, I've never been, I've never been to Australia, I've never been um, to Europe, but they don't go like us, like, they, they're so much more laid back, there's not a rush to do what you're doing, like, 
I feel like in America, it's just like, go, go, go. And that's why everybody's so burnt out here and everyone's so tired and everyone's so sad. Like, right. I don't know that I would kill to like be immersed in that culture and see really just how different that is. Well, and you see that with, you know, capitalistic tendencies versus so- socialistic tendencies, right? Yes. I mean, so the reason people are go, 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 go in America is because we have to earn money. Mm-hmm. Everything is about money mm-hmm. versus in, you know, Denmark, Norway, any kind of the European region. It's a lot more. OK, yes, you need to work and yes, you need to contribute to the economy, but also you need to take some time and worry about your mental health because we don't want a higher suicide rate. Right. Which is why you see that's so low there, because they have that month break where they require like a paid month break where they're required to take some sort of vacation or sabbatical and either unwind and just stay at home and spend time with your kids or travel and go see a Mm -hmm. bunch of different things isn't that so cool it is cool and i like the idea of that um it also i can see how it can take can take the competitive edge out of earning your money right yes if you're getting taxed up the ass where's the incentive to earn more money right yeah but again i don't they don't seem to be doing bad right no, and I mean, like, I don't, I've never been there. I have no idea what it's actually like to yeah, live there. Um, but, I mean, I'm sure it's it's hard to achieve that type of um, community, too. Um, and it's, I'm sure there's a lot of downfalls that come with that, too, either yeah. financially or politically. Like, there are things that come with our lifestyle here that are awesome. And like you said, like, working for your money, your potential is limitless. Mm-hmm. Like, you can... You can make as much money as you want, and you can work as hard as you want, and that's really valuable, too. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, I, I don't, I've never lived there. I've never even been to Europe, but grass is always greener, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I just look at – I look at my friends, and I have quite a few friends in Europe, and their lifestyle and their overall happiness, and it seems better than mine, but again, it's not <laughs> – I don't blame that on capitalism. I don't blame that on my situation. I blame it on, well, where did I put myself? I fell into the same machine that everybody else does, Mm -hmm. and that's working for my money, which it's not not to say I'm not happy. I am very happy with where I'm at right now. Mm -hmm. But, (coughs) again, it's just that's kind of where we're at, and that's how we live. And sometimes it sucks. It has its benefits, and it has its downs, just like as I'm sure the culture that our friends in Europe live in, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure they want the opportunity to earn more money than they do but they probably don't have that opportunity or at least not nearly as easy or attainable as it is in the U.S. Yep. Mm -hmm. I totally agree. There's a lot of opportunities here. Um, And I think it just goes back to what you just said. Like, everybody's idea of, like, being happy and being productive is very different. Yeah. So no matter what you're doing, no matter where you're at, if you can find that, that level where it feels good to you and you're still bringing home what you need to bring home, like, that's the important part. Right. And yeah, and again, setting that standard for yourself, depending on what you want, it doesn't have to be miserable making $45,000 a year. It doesn't have to be miserable making $50,000 a year, mm-hmm. whatever it might be. You can find an attainable lifestyle within those means. It's just that I can't because right. I expect more of myself and I want more out of my lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Which is a really, a really great quality to have. And being competitive with yourself and self-motivated is such such an important quality Mm -hmm. because you know you've met people who aren't like that and like I don't know if if you're the same way but I've never like I've always been like that like I can never think of a time where like I was just not I didn't care I wasn't competitive or I wasn't self-motivated and I don't know where that 
comes from, but I'm so thankful for it because, uh, like, you can't, I, I don't know how you would even flip that switch in your brain if, if I didn't come with it, you know? Right. Well, I mean, it's kind of sitting still is ulti- is death, right? Yeah. You know, standing still is ultimately death. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're not moving, you're not living, you're not surviving. And that's kind of, <coughs> I don't know that I was, I mean, obviously growing up and having that structure of playing sports, which I think is important and stuff like that and earning your money the hard way, you know, getting a job when you're 16 or able to, I think definitely speaks a lot to how you're motivated as an adult. Um, but again, I, it's hard to say because I do meet people, again, my friends in Europe who seem just as motivated. They want something and they go get it. It's just what they want and what's expected of them is a little bit different than Mm -hmm. here. So it's really hard to say, but yeah, I mean, I think growing up, I was always like, okay, it's, you know, not everything's going to be handed to you. You need to, granted, I did not have a hard life. We didn't really struggle with money per se. Mm -hmm. There was times where I thought we did, but we really didn't. Um, but I have always been conscious of that. Like I do need to, I have a certain standard that I, I need to set myself to set myself to, and I have certain things I want to accomplish in life. And this is what's motivating me, Mm -hmm. which again is good. And I don't think is unique to capitalism or unique to the American lifestyle. Right. I think just that tends to jumpstart it a little bit more. No, I agree. I totally agree. And I, I'm right there with you when I say like, yeah, we struggled with money, but I was still extremely fortunate mm-hmm. to grow up the way I did. I was fine. Right. Um, but like you, I started working when I was 15 and I've always worked since then. Like <coughs> I started school and I was a full time student and worked full time all throughout college. Um, and I didn't really realize how hard that was until I graduated because focusing on just work and not school is crazy Mm -hmm. like I don't have that uh, I don't know how I did that you know I I don't know but that's just how how we grew up and that's the values that were enforced and I I love that I'm very appreciative of that yeah absolutely I remember so when I was in Kansas for my first two years I didn't have to work because tuition was so cheap that Mm -hmm. financial aid covered it as well as my rent as well as any kind of whatever fun stuff I wanted to do. That's crazy. It was insane. My rent there was $250. Oh, my gosh. And then I came here, and I had my financial aid, and I just remember thinking, oh, my God, I have to go find a job or I'm going to be fucked. Like, I mm-hmm. won't be able to pay for tuition. I won't be able to pay for rent. I won't be able to do any of this stuff. And so that's when I started working full-time, and it was quite – it was a little bit of an adjustment. It was, you know, trying to find that school and work balance yeah. and also having fun. Right. Um, but once you figure it out, I think it makes you a lot more accomplished. It can make you a lot more motivated and stuff like that. It's like having a job and doing this, it's working 40 hours a week plus however many classes. So and homework, right? That's like right. probably 20 hours total a week, yeah. if not more, depending on what major you are. Mm-hmm. It's a big kick in the ass to yep. say, hey, you need to get going. Yep. And I, I do. I am glad for that experience. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, you have a lot of kids who, not to hold anything against them, some of them are still great students and stuff like that, but they don't know what it's like to work and pay for that when that dollar's coming out of your pocket or you have to pay that dollar back. Right. And I think you can see that life catches them a little bit off guard when that starts to mm-hmm. end. Yeah. 
And I think there's a happy medium. Like, my roommates are all amazing, and um, their parents or their grandparents, whoever, they support them for the most part financially. But they still have jobs, and they're still working part-time because that's important to them, and they get value out of that. And that's how I want to raise my kids. Like, if my parents could help me, they would. Absolutely. And, they, and I, yeah, yours, yours would too. And, like, it's not that they don't want to help me. It's that they can't help me right now. Um, and that doesn't make them, like, bad people or anything. And that's awesome that, like, my roommate's parents can help them and they're still working. And they still right. recognize the, the value in putting that work in and, and they get um, purpose out of that. Yeah, and that's a good point. I mean, I said people who don't work and are strictly students. That's not really what I meant. What I meant was people who get that luxury but also take advantage of it. Right, which there are a lot of people which that Which there do are that. a lot of people that do that, right. Try being in Kappa Kappa Gamma. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so it's just there are that those people who do have the luxury and good fortune of having parents who can support them. and. Mm-hmm. I'm all about that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. If you can, I mean, that's Chris, Chris's parents. If he hadn't had a full academic scholarship, his parents would have put him through school. And that's something to be said about your parents. Your parents are hardworking too. Mm-hmm. And I think that's instilled in a lot of those people still where it's like, okay, yeah, you were paying for your school, but you're expected to, you know, make enough money to pay for whatever you want to do. We're not going to just hand you money. Right. So you're right. There is a certain balance there and there is different kind of people. Those who, get that stuff paid for and still know the value of a dollar and those who don't and tend to take advantage of their situation. Yeah, I totally agree. Totally. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that my was loud. <laughs> what, my neck? Yeah. Do you think the mic picked it up? Probably. I don't know how you did that. It hurts, but it feels good afterwards. It's a good hurt. Oh, here's something I wanted to ask you, Sue. What is your, I mean, being a conservationist and stuff like that, what is your standpoint on hunting? Um, I fully fully support hunting and fishing um like 90 percent of income to um colorado um parks and wildlife national parks um all that good stuff park rangers everything comes from uh, hunting licenses and (coughs) fishing licenses and i think it's super important for people to support that and of course, like all, all respect to those who don't. It's just my opinion. Um, but I think, like, knowing what I know and having gone through my degree and the coursework with that, it is so important to support those things. And also, like, not just for the income and the revenue, but um, population control. Um, there, there's so many things. And yeah, you can overhunt and overfish, but for the most part, they do a really good job about regulating that and. And people have fun doing that, and it's also just such a help. Um, as long as you're eating the meat, and you know, not just <laughs> right, <laughs> not just killing stuff to kill stuff. Um, but no, I fully, fully support hunting. And I think that's, you know, spoken like a true educated biologist right there. I Thank think you. <laughs> a lot of people tend to misconstrue hunting with just killing animals versus actually you know, how much it costs to hunt and where those funds are going to, mm-hmm. uh, duck stamps and yep. things like that that are, you know, creating these wildlife sanctuaries and helping keep parks departments in business and stuff like that. Right. I don't know if that's actually the funds that are keeping the parks department in business. Oh, definitely. But whatever it is, um, I don't personally hunt. I, <laughs> you know, it, 
I have a hard time killing pretty much anything. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is human, like right. Me too. <laughs> yeah, and but I do. I understand the importance of hunting and the role that it plays. Again, population control one, and two. Probably one of the most important is ultimately it's keeping those animals safe as a whole, right? Right. And the ecosystem in check. Mm -hmm. And that's the most important thing is everything, this sounds so cliche, but, like, everything works together, truly. Um, And, you like, you know, Colorado just um, passed the the act to, I think it was, I forget what number it was, um, but to reintroduce wolves. Mm -hmm. um, And, like, they have to do that so carefully because that's the apex predator and, like, everything could go away if that gets out of control you know there's a lot of stuff that goes goes into that and a lot of people behind that so right so i guess do you view that as a good thing or a bad thing or just that it needs to be very well monitored when they're doing it um do you find yourself in between or more for one side or the other on that specifically for the wolves Mm -hmm. i i think it's a great thing that they're being reintroduced um, and I did multiple projects on this um, while I was at CSU, and I know a lot about it. But there's a lot of uh, research and um, stuff to back up why they should be reintroduced in this area. And it's like I just said, they need to keep the ecosystem in check. Um, and I completely understand the downsides of this. Um, and like for farmers and for people who live out in the country, yeah, it's, it's going to be really hard, and my heart goes out to those people. Um, but they've worked it in a way where if one of your animals is attacked by a wolf, they'll, re- they'll refund you for your animal. Okay. And they're trying, to, they're trying to work with people in that way because the ecosystem needs that predator so bad. And the, the elk population and the mule deer population is out of control. Right, and we saw the same thing with the Yellowstone yeah. study, right, where mm-hmm. they introduced wolves and – Fish counts went up, um, wild whatever grasses and plants went yeah. up to a healthy amount. Overgrazing, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a huge. So thing. that was a big thing. Um, <clears throat> and I yeah I can see the downside with cattle and stuff like that as well. But again, you have to kind of think about where we were a hundred years ago and then where we'll be a hundred years from now as well, right? It mm-hmm. needs to be maintained and kept in some fashion. Um. And it's very hard to do that without the natural, um, you know, without the natural ecosystem, without, you know, taking out the wolves just because they take out cattle. Well, cattle weren't naturally there. Right. right. Yeah. I love I love that mindset. And that's how I've always thought is that naturally those wolves were there. Mm-hmm. So I think they should be there. You know, right. we they were here before we were. <laughs> well, yeah. maybe not. Yeah. They were More here than before. likely. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a really interesting topic, too, is like. um human manipulation like inorganically putting animals here and and relocating them here and just really like treating the ecosystem as as a game board and you can do whatever you want and that's super fragile and super touchy um but i think if something was there in the beginning it really it can't hurt that bad to put it back there yeah people are here now it's gonna it's gonna fuck with some people and it's gonna cause problems and it's a it's a hard issue to get around, but I think overall it'll be very beneficial. Right, and you think about and when you said overgrazing, mm-hmm. uh, when the wolves were removed, you 
think about that. So if you have a certain amount of cattle condensed to a certain amount of acreage, that area is going to be completely barren and yeah. no time, right? Because right. overfeeding, overgrazing, all this, all these different factors that play into it. And so eventually they're going to have to move again and move again and move again and move again. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, not to sound too granola-y, but there's got to be like a more sustainable way to mitigate that, right? There's got to be a better way to keep cattle from overgrazing. And, but I mean, I guess that kind of goes back to our beef consumption and stuff like that. And then there's a lot of problems linked to that. But again, yeah. personally speaking, I'm probably not going to stop eating beef just oh, me for that neither. reason. Me neither. There's a time when I was like 13 or 14, I wanted to be vegetarian. <laughs> and my mom was like, hell no, you're not going to be vegetarian. And I can't even tell you why I wanted to do that. I think I was like figuring out my passions and my place in the world. And I was like, "Ooh, okay, I'm an environmentalist now. Ooh, environmentalists are vegan. Like it just all went down this, this thought process when I was 14 years old. Um, and now, knowing everything I know now, I am not going to be vegan. Like, right. And I started my time at CSU majoring in animal science. Um, and that was extremely agricultural. Mm-hmm. And that's where I learned there when I knew this. But, like, there's a huge difference between animals that we farm and raise for our own consumption and wildlife. And those are two completely different categories. And a lot of people group them together. And I think that's where some people go go vegan um which you know what like i said like respect for any i don't care what yeah, why you you're do. doing it yeah um and i also completely the the energy and the the water it takes to um produce beef on that level is very detrimental mm-hmm. and you know what if someone tomorrow was like all right Everybody stop eating beef. Like, this is what we're doing. This is how we're going to save the world. Yeah, I would stop eating beef, but not everyone's going to do that. Right. And I think there comes a point where, um, and I'll I'll get into that too, but, like, there comes a point where you know that the majority of people aren't going to do something. So if you just want to do it to feel like a better person, that's great, but is it worth it? You know? Uh, yeah, it depends on what your outlook is on it and the reasons you're doing it, right? Yeah, totally. And there's a a year of my life, sophomore year of college, where I just was not okay. And, like, I was going to these classes and just learning so much about the position that we're in, um, specifically with climate change and with everything going on. And I was so miserable. And I would just carry the weight of every single person on this earth, like, on my shoulders. And I would come home, and I would spit facts at my roommate that were depressing. And, like, it was just a really, really hard year for me because I thought I I was going to school for this. I was paying for this degree. So I had to be the one to change it because not everybody else had this knowledge that I had now because I, I chose to go into this. And the minute I stopped living like that, it was such so different. Because I can't change that for everybody. I can't stop eating beef for everybody, you know? Right. So that was a huge turning point for me. And, yeah, you can do your part. I mean, whatever, doing local or yeah, hunted meats and stuff like that. So I think, so if everybody were to hunt, 
I think that would be, I think then it would be detrimental to wildlife populations, yeah, right? Yeah, because there's so many people now. <laughs> with, with how much we're consuming meat and how much our diets are based around meat now, I think it is hard to, I think if there was a balance between hunting and then uh, raising livestock for um, consumption, I think it would probably be a lot better off mm-hmm. as far as, um, like you said, water resources, um, overgrazing and situations like that that we put ourselves in. And it's just, it, it is very difficult because you have a lot of the people who, I mean, you have people who hunt for their meat and that's pretty much the only meat they eat. Yep. And it's sustainable because they're paying their dues towards um, <laughs> parks and wildlife and conservation and stuff like that, regardless of what they think. That's what their money is going to. Yeah. And again, they're consuming their own beef and they're not really paying money towards uh, over consumption of cattle and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's really important to kind of think about is when people are arguing about this and when people and when politicians bring this up, it's not a totally black and white situation. Though, right. There Absolutely is definitely not. middle ground to where hunters can be hunters and beef consumers can be beef consumers with moderation yeah but no one wants to do that i think moderation on either side tends to be very hard to aim for yeah it's radical one side or radical the other which is the problem pretty (laughs) frustrating yeah coming from yeah i mean like i i I don't find myself on skewing more towards one side than the other i find myself saying wow you're both idiots and arguing over stupid shit mostly the same thing like we all want the same shit right Mm mm-hmm so it's yeah it is very frustrating especially during politics season to see stuff like that right i totally agree with you and i find myself the same way i don't lean towards either side which (coughs) is a lot of people pin me as a liberal because i'm an environmentalist um which i don't blame them for but it's very different you know um and those two those two sides of the spectrum are so extreme that that's what's ultimately going to take us down. We're going <laughs> to, like... Go into a civil war yeah, of sorts? Yeah. yeah. I mean, hopefully not. But <laughs> Inevitably, it will happen. Yeah. No, Who knows when? Terrifying. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it is. And that's, like, I've always argued that. I've always... I've argued with Ashley's parents about that. I've argued mm-hmm. with um, or very far left side liberals about this. It's just... Can you see the common ground with anyone? If you can't find a common thing in conversation with a person opposite of whatever political stance you're in, mm-hmm. then you're wrong. Yeah, I agree. I love that. <coughs> yeah. Like you're not seeing things from both sides. Right. And, and you can people can argue, well, you know, so-and-so wants this. I'm like, well, yes, but you're also blowing it completely out of proportion on what they actually want. Yeah. And also very few of the very radical whatever side it might be bills and laws that they want to pass go through because it has to go through certain yes um levels in order to get to that point exactly and it's but i mean again it's so easy to point the finger and blame it at one side or the other or this politician or another that i think that's why people do it because it's takes the pressure off them and it takes the pressure off other people to try and make a difference themselves yeah i couldn't agree more and i think it really really boils down to respect Right. Like you're if <coughs> no matter who you're sitting across from and talking to, that person has values and that person truly like believes something. So that should be important to you. Like those are things that they care about. No matter what they're saying, listen to them and hopefully they'll listen to you, too. You know, so 
I think that just needs to be more of a common theme with everyone. Yeah, absolutely. And too bad it's not. And it only seems like it's going to get more and more worse. But, I mean, my favorite thing after an election, I guess not really this one because it's not <laughs> happening yet, is like the is the the decline and in intenseness. Okay, so uh, going up to the, I think it was 20, was it 2016 was the first Trump election or was it 2017? 2016. 2016. So going up to that one, it was, people were so intense. And it seemed like, I feel like more intense. And I, I guess I was kind of younger. Yeah, I barely remember that. Yeah. Um, during the Bush Kerry, who was it? I could not even tell you. Yeah, just goes to show you how much I pay attention. Right. Um, either way, so during like past elections, I feel like we've just seen this trend of things getting more and more intense. Like you never saw bush hats and bush flags in people's yards, right? Same as you didn't see, um, you know, any kind of democratic flags in people's yards. I mean, you had like the signs and stuff like that, but that was pretty right. minimal. Mm-hmm. So I guess I'm, I've always wondered, and I still wonder why, <clears throat> when Trump came into office, all of a sudden conservative groups were like you know let's go all out we're gonna get trumps we're gonna hang them from our we're gonna, uh, trump hats we're gonna get flags yeah. we're gonna hang them from our trucks we're gonna put them on um our front yards instead of the american flag or in tandem with the american flag because right trump and america obviously go hand in hand evidently which yeah i guess somehow. i didn't know i didn't either <laughs> but it's just confusing and like you didn't really see that on the democratic side which i want to and i don't i honestly have no idea why I, I just I don't know what the difference was in. Mm-hmm. I've um, never thought about that. That's right. a really good point. And I, I guess I'm I'm genuinely I'm not like trying to slam um, the Republican side. I'm more just curious as to why all of a sudden in uh, 2016 and then in, again in 2020 mm-hmm. did that become such a big thing. I don't know. Um, I think it's easy to follow in other people's footsteps like if if i'm sure a couple people started doing that like really extremist people and that was the thing and also like i don't know the way that trump advertised himself during during both elections really made it easy for people to you know (coughs) deck their house out yeah that bumper sticker on your car you know it was a movement yeah and i guess you know, take this for what it's worth and take it with a grain of salt. But he did kind of appeal to the work er, – he appealed more to the working class than anything, right? I mean, yes. you have a lot of blue-collar industries yeah. that are fully, su- like, Trump supporters. Yes. And so I'm not sure if that was one of the things, like, maybe the in- more inclusion of the blue-collar groups was, okay, well, let's just fucking amp this up and get flags and hats and all these fun stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, I am really curious to – know on and on why that was a thing i mean that eventually i'll have scotty on here and <laughs> ask him what his motive behind it was to right buy all that stuff because it almost seems like when you do that you are inviting people to argue with you and fight with you which is like like why put in the energy for that right some people are like that though right some people are like that naturally but others it just seems for that one specific thing others yeah. it's politics in specific let's argue about it Right. I think people like to identify with something, too. It makes them feel more purposeful, and it makes them feel more seen. Mm -hmm. And I think that might be a huge thing to deal with it, too, is that, like, 
okay, there's this movement going on. Let's get behind it. Let's put that flag in my in my lawn. You know, like I'm I stand with these people and I have a place with these people and I belong to something. And I think that's like a huge part of it too. Yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. Yeah. Um <laughs> I mean, I guess yeah. A lot of people who were that intense about the election are still kind of holding on to that, right? <laughs> Pretty harshly. Yes. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> and yes, I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. I mean, having something to identify yourself with and yeah, I think again, getting, you know, the, the blue collar has a voice now, more of a voice than they have in the past. Right. Mm -hmm. Which is, I mean, uh, for all practical purposes, is a pretty good thing. Yeah, I, I mean, agree. They're kind of the behind the scenes guys, but now they are, in, or at least we're in the spotlight and there's a lot more attention shed on them. Yeah. Which I think is great. Like, if you care about something and you're passionate about something enough to to advertise yourself um, as part of that, then that's great. You have confidence in that. And, like, I couldn't do that. Like, no matter which side I, I would be on, I couldn't I couldn't put that bumper sticker on my car. Like, yeah. it's not it's not worth it to me to <coughs> argue with people about it constantly. No. And I don't want I think like the the thing that sucks is that. I think when people start um, advertising themselves that way, they are, like you said, like kind of advertising like, oh, I could argue. Mm -hmm. I could argue. Like, I come argue with me. And a lot of those people aren't actually like that. And a lot of right. those people um, aren't <laughs> as, like, diehard as you think. Um, and they're good people. And they're just they're hopping on the bandwagon, you know. So right. it gives that false impression. And I think there is some, I mean, yeah, like you're right. It is, it's, it's good if you want to identify yourself, like you believe in something so much that you want to brand yourself with it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's the word brand, brand yourself. Yeah. You should also have the facts and information to back that up, or at least some information that didn't come from social media that came from your own research. Yeah. Um, as a secondary, mm -hmm. if you do want to argue, because people who do it that, I mean, again, both sides, but again, you see it more common with the Republican side, at least in this point in time, mm -hmm. is people who are branding themselves with it and open, opening that confrontation and it ends in a fist fight because it, you know, they don't have real arguments and the other person calls them a bigot. Mm -hmm. They call them a fucking snowflake the mm -hmm. democrats a snowflake and it's just like okay that was a really good argument and debate right yeah and a very constructive conversation yeah exactly yeah. and <laughs> i guess the ultimate the, the point that i was trying to get back to was if both sides are arguing facts it's ultimately which facts resonate with you more right yeah do you care more about conservation and health care and stuff like that do you care more like a concentration on that or do you care more about you know how the economy's doing uh, obviously a generalization. I have no idea what the fuck I'm talking about, but you care more about like um, wages and stuff like that. So which thing resonates with you more? And honestly, neither of those sides is wrong because both are facts. Yeah. And both have different agendas. Mm -hmm. And that's that's what it is. But when you start to bring, you know, feelings and stuff like that into it and just don't do your research, it, it turns into this huge mess like we had right. in 20. Yeah. 20. And 2021 2020 2021 yeah still happening um yeah and that's where it when it 
whenever it goes wrong in my household or with whoever I'm talking to, um, it goes back to that respect thing and it goes back to, um, you know, it, it all depends on where you're coming from and what you've been surrounded with and the knowledge that you have. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, I, I, I really value the earth and I really value our environment and, in conservation and I know a lot of people don't have that same lens and I'm very aware of that when I'm talking to others like it's not it's not Grace's fault that she didn't major in wildlife biology you know and it's not anyone's fault like when I'm talking to somebody who who majored in business and that's their their career path and that's what they've been taught for four years and that's their focus it is not their fault that they don't see it from my side right because that's like their whole lives have been centered <coughs> around the economy, which I don't give a fuck about. But <laughs> that's totally different between us because of our views and where our backgrounds and where we've come from and what we've learned. It's no one's fault. Right. And I, yeah, I mean, I guess from my standpoint, it's like I the reason I'm in the middle is because I came back from or I come from a fairly liberal background, mm-hmm. but also with the industry that I'm in and the industry that I'm or the classes that I took in high school which were mostly business related but again even in or sorry college but even in college I had that business background plus um, sustainability and tourism yeah. background right and that like I said that's such a great combo you have both I think if I could redo college and major in something else it would be that natural resource tourism and I'd get a minor in business right because in the world, I'm not naive, like, in the world we live in today, in the society we live in today, you need to have that business background, and you need to provide for yourself, um, and that's where the economy does matter, unfortunately, right. um, but it's also really good to be aware of the fact that none of us would be here if we weren't living on this earth, if we didn't take care of our planet, and we're not doing that right now, so I think people get really caught up in in the small picture and aren't looking at the big picture as much and I don't blame them. Right. Well, and it's again, you can be you can care about the environment and you can care about the earth and you can also still be a Republican. Mm-hmm. Vice totally. versa, you can be a democratic and still or a democrat and still really want the economy to succeed because mm-hmm. you need both, right? Absolutely. Ultimately, you need both. Yeah. I mean, you look at any downfall of a nation and one of the biggest indications is the economy mm-hmm. and it's just it, it's a fact it is what it is it's one of the basic measurements of the quality of a country or a nation or a world right um at the same rate you know fucking mining the resources that we do and draining uh the earth of what you know natural oils mm-hmm. and everything that we do and forestry and stuff like that will take its toll and i think I guess how I kind of distinguish that is long-term versus short-term. Short-term, we need to keep this economy going, right? Mm -hmm. We need to keep it fueled, and with that becomes building more houses, uh, mining more oil, all the stuff that we need to do versus long-term, we need to keep the earth going and make sure that we have a sustainable future for generations to come. Right, which we we can't do those two things in that way at the same time. Well... I mean, we can. It's not easy, right? I mean, that was one of the biggest discussions in uh, natural resource tourism. Ultimately, it came down to can tourism, which 
you can kind of expand that to other industries as well. Can that be sustainable mm-hmm. and still stimulate the economy? And the answer is, who the fuck knows? Right. Tourism as we know it now, no. It can't be fully sustainable without any damaging effects to the earth. It can mm-hmm. be lessened, mm-hmm. and it can be monitored more heavily, but with the way that <coughs> we want to do it and the way that people are have been doing it for years, no, it's absolutely not sustainable. Mm-hmm. And same with uh, cutting down trees and same with mining oils at the rate that we're doing it. It's all about, uh, you know, monitoring that and just trying to be a little more conscious about how much you're doing that. Yeah, I agree. But there's, I mean, there's downsides to everything, right? There's downsides to um, natural energy like wind and uh, hydro energy and stuff like that. It's just about, I mean, I think if we had a heavy mix of all of them, it would probably lessen the impact on the environment as well as still not destroying the economy and destroying jobs. Right. I think one of the coolest ideas is nuclear energy, um, but it's so dangerous. It is very dangerous. But the smallest amount of nuclear energy can power so much, and it's so sustainable that it's almost like, well, let's do it. Like, let's – but it's so dangerous. Like, it would literally wipe everything out if something went wrong. Right. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's a – pretty big risk right huge yeah and so i mean ultimately it's inevitable that something will happen Mm -hmm. something that will go wrong with that yeah um whether it's dramatic or whether it's minimal it'll have and i don't know anything about nuclear energy or applying that to a sustainable source Mm -hmm. um but from just like what you said it sounds like balancing the risk and reward could be pretty hard to do yeah definitely just like anything um, I just think, like you just touched on, the mining of our natural resources right now is not sustainable, and we all know that, and that rate is only going to go up, unfortunately, unless we do something about it. Um, and of course it has, like, the the um, pipeline project that mm-hmm. just got canceled. Um, Keystone? Or, yeah, the, the Keystone, Keystone pipeline. pipeline. Yeah. yeah. That just got canceled when um, Biden was elected. And that sucks for a ton of people who lost their jobs. And, like, yeah, gas prices went up. But also, do you know how much, like, oil and how much mining and how much land we just saved (coughs) by doing that? Like, that, I think it's all about, like, where your values lie, like we were talking about earlier. Um, You can't win. Like, either either it's better here and it's worse here or it's better here and it's worse here. Right. It's a double-edged sword for sure. Yeah. And I was reading – I was actually reading about that because, I, again, this was one article. I didn't check my sources at all. Um, but <laughs> I was re- No, I was researching it. So it wasn't Facebook. It was Google. So take that for what it's <laughs> worth. But um, I was reading statistics on it uh, showing, like, the safety of it environmentally. And, I mean, the stats weren't really that bad as far as how detrimental it was to the ecosystems. Obviously – and with any amount of digging that you have and that length of digging, there's going to be some sort of repercussions environmentally, right? You're yeah. going to have displacement of sorts. Um, but again, I don't think – I don't know enough about it to really side with one or the other, which is why after that article, I didn't do much more research. I was like, right. oh, okay. Yeah, and I'm the same way as you. I, And that's why I was praying you weren't bringing me on this podcast to, to grill me about politics because, <laughs> to be honest – I'm not very informed, and I, I and I do it on purpose because 
it causes me more stress to learn and know know too much about that stuff and i and i see it with my roommates all the time brooke does her research and she's fucking stressed out about it all the time it's not worth it to me t- to know every single detail um and it's not <laughs> i don't go either way you right, know right exactly and it's yeah exactly people who involve themselves so much in these political events and stuff like that just it's exhausting right mm-hmm. like how can you be angry for that long and not it, just like don't you want to do other stuff right don't well you not wa- worry about that yeah don't you want to you know go out and do stuff with your friends and not do something that's illegal also annoying and stress yourself out even more right um so from yeah exactly i'm in the same position where i'm just like try you know if so, i'll read some stuff about it but i'm not nearly informed enough to argue about it with people no and so do i think it's annoying that people kind of flaunt trump flags everywhere do i think it's annoying that um a lot of liberals protest in certain fashions absolutely mm-hmm. but once that's out of my sight i don't think about it twice right i don't i don't give a shit right if that's how you want to spend your time and make yourself miserable and make yourself angry mm-hmm. so be it right still make it my problem yeah, exactly. Well, and that's up to you, ultimately, if mm-hmm. you're going to make it your problem or not. And I think just talking to you, you've done a really <coughs> good job of uninvolving yourself in that. And I think that's very healthy. And a lot of people get caught up in it. And I and I know why. Um, but you just have to make that conscious choice not to. Or else you're just going to get sucked right in. And it doesn't matter. You can't do anything to change that. You really can't. Unless right. it's on a very... Because like the... Si- like does the single vote really matter anymore? No. It no. It really doesn't. It doesn't. <laughs> and so that's why – and people will fucking castrate you. They will – Yep. You become a social pariah if you don't vote or if you vote for an independent party. Right. And it's like, well, I voted, and I voted based on something that I thought – like I, I voted for the candidate that best fit what I think is important. Your needs and your values. And yeah. whether it was Democratic, whether it was Republican, whether it was – um, fucking libertarian. That was like that's my intense personal choice, and frankly, mm-hmm. is nobody else's business. Right. Which is something I also miss about, you know, elections back in the day was a lot of people didn't talk about it, Mm-mm. which has its ups and its downs. But also the upside is people aren't rioting and getting in fist fights and stuff like that. I guess the downside is people don't argue, which I, I don't know. I don't know what the I don't know what the downside is to it. Yeah. I mean, obviously, arguing is good in some circumstances and becoming a more informed and educated person, but also in the manner that people are arguing lately, it's not. It's not educational in any way. It's more detrimental. Right. I agree. And I'm not. Like, I can't tell anybody not to stand up for what they believe or what they want because that's extremely important. But I feel like in this time period right now, People are getting really, really confident in their, in themselves, and, yeah. and that blocks out their entire, their whole view, and other people aren't important anymore, and their opinions aren't important anymore, and like I said earlier, like, it doesn't matter if, if somebody you care about is sitting with you and talking to you, then it shouldn't matter what they're saying, like, <laughs> I don't understand, like, the, the rioting and the, and the disrespect. And it sucks. It does. Yep. It's annoying to be. It's annoying to be 
someone who's in the middle and see both sides so Mm -hmm. furious with one another Mm -hmm. and that it's escalated to the point it has right right and so it's like i I was talking to my father about this because he i think he finds himself more in the middle as well and both of us were just like yep uh and my dad involves himself. I guess my dad's a little more outspoken or a little more informed anyway and pays attention to that stuff more. But I'm like, God, at this point, I really just don't want to involve myself in either side. Even if I agree with someone, I don't want to tell them I agree with them because mm-hmm. they'll automatically assume I'm on that side. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so it's just, yeah, it's it's frustrating to yeah. see all of it going on. It's also frustrating to see, like, people our age not doing their due diligence before they vote and voting for people who their parents voted for yeah i agree i have a friend her dad offered her five thousand dollars to fill out her ballot for her like how fucked up is that she said no she said no <laughs> she said no Shit, i probably would have taken the five thousand dollars honestly yeah i mean <laughs> i want to say you know what me too i would have yeah definitely would have yeah fuck it yeah $5,000. At that point, again, I don't give a shit enough about what's going on. Obviously, if you want to pay me $5,000 to fill out my ballot. Yeah. Well, like we just uh, said, the vote doesn't fucking count anyway. Right. Not at all. Yeah. It's it's really something else. Mm-hmm. And I think <laughs> – I know I had – wasn't really even an argument, but I had a disagreement with my brother at Thanksgiving however many years ago during the first Trump election – and again, he was—he's um, openly gay, mm-hmm. and so that demographic obviously votes for um, the de- Democratic candidate, right? Generally, right. yes. And so it's—you know—it was like, okay, well, yeah, you have a lot of reasons not to vote for Trump, but you're also not seeing the other—you're not weighing it. You're just assuming that everything he's doing is poison, mm-hmm. and you're not taking that into account. Mm-hmm. And so I guess that's yeah, again, that just goes back to the one side versus the other and that's what it has come down to yeah well and then like if you if you vote for that side then then you're against him somehow um and that's a really dangerous game to play too right i mean it's a fallacy like it, it yeah. goes back to that if you're not with me you're against me yes. you're not with me therefore you're against mm-hmm. me which is not it, it's fallacious it doesn't make any sense it's not a true argument it's not a good way to live mm-hmm. um and so it's yeah exactly yeah i really respect that and agree fully <coughs> but you know people are going to do whatever the fuck they want to do at this point and as long as i can keep myself uninvolved with it and it hopefully i don't get my ass kicked for disagreeing with someone <laughs> so be it yep me too and people i gonna, mean yeah yeah and it do- it doesn't matter it doesn't matter i mean it matters because it's it's in your brain and it's your happiness, but yeah, at the end of the day, people are gonna do whatever they want, and people are gonna be mad, and people are gonna really, really be passionate about about certain things and express that in really violent ways, and that's sad, you know. Yeah, it is. It's stupid, is what it is. Yeah, and that's <laughs> how society is gonna go down. People who react does. that way just go and show everybody else how uneducated they are because they can't yeah. handle their feelings. And their mm-hmm. opinions in a civil way. Right. They're fucking Neanderthals. Well, and, and the worst part is that they act like they're above everybody else. And they they're t- they talk down to you in right. that way. When <coughs> I'm just as important as you are, you know. Mm-hmm. That's, the, that's the sad part. Yeah, I mean, 
rioting in any way, whether it was storming the Capitol or whether it was rioting in the streets and looting small businesses. Mm -hmm. Both of those do not seem like rational reactions to <clears throat> what's going on. Mm -mm. And, like, would you ever do that? No. no. Would I? No. I don't. I don't get it. I can't even pretend to get it. What I want to as much as I care about the environment and the climate, would I want to go spend my day protesting? No, because it doesn't – I'm not going to achieve anything. Yeah. N all I can do is be a good person, you know. Right. I'm not going to do that. Yeah, like, again, it's, it's archaic to try and take something like that and – go cause physical harm to somebody or something mm -hmm. and expect to make a change and expect to make your point, right? Yep. The only thing that you're proving is, again, that you're not educated enough and not smart enough to handle things in the proper way and that, <clears throat> I mean, ultimately you are just a fucking Neanderthal. Mm -hmm. Like you're just basing, you're construing facts and emotions or you're construing facts and data with emotions and then getting yourself ramped up enough to go break into fucking small businesses and steal shit and light shit on fire and beat up police officers or on the other hand break into a capitol building and expect there to be no repercussions yep it's just it's stupid on both ends mm -hmm. but anyway we've dedicated a lot of this time now to <laughs> politics for which we both don't understand that much yeah um so i guess this is still kind of a political question but not in the same manner you might think. Mm -hmm. So one of my biggest frustrations right now and what I find myself like I do get mad at is cancel culture. So where do you stand on, I guess, cancel culture as a whole, more specifically, um, like stars and people of more notability than the average Joe, like actors and singers and people like that. Does it make sense for people to go and find things that they've said and cancel them and now they don't have jobs? Um, Again, that's a gross, gross okay. con condensation of what is actually happening. But So are we like referring to like what just happened to Morgan Wallen? Sure. Like, yeah, okay. as an example. I'm just trying to make sure I understand yep. the, mm -hmm. the question. Exactly um, what I'm talking about. That's interesting. Um, I think that's – that's a really hard question. Why do you why are you, why do you find yourself frustrated with it? Like, do you have? I find myself frustrated with it, and I guess not necessarily the Morgan Wallen. Th okay, just to speak to this specific situation. Yes, he did say a very untasteful word, and especially in this climate, a very yeah. poor decision of words. Right. Yes. But he was drunk, which. Again, it doesn't really defend that because you should probably be a little more careful of what you're saying. But it was caught on his neighbor's ring camera who then distributed it to the public. And now he's facing repercussions to where he might never, not ever have a job again. Right. And maybe I'm over-exaggerating. Like more than likely in a few years he'll be able to do something and stuff like that. But mm -hmm. is it necessary to, you know, ruin everything these people have worked for? for a mistake like that be it that big or something smaller like a gay joke right 
Maybe that's not smaller. I don't know. Don't <laughs> fucking cancel me because of that. <laughs> Canceled. Um, yeah, I I am going to say that I think it depends on what was said, but I don't think that should ruin somebody's life at all. We've all said things we don't mean. We've all made mistakes um, that we we know now are are stupid and i bet that like morgan wall and i bet he hates himself for that dude i bet he would do anything to take that right back you know um and i'm not saying it's okay at all or excusing that behavior but no i don't think it's it's right to to ruin somebody's career and their life based off of that one that one little thing caught on that on that neighbor's camera that's ridiculous and also, how did he, like, have to sort through his camera footage to, like, go out after this guy? Like, I didn't even know that. Yeah, so I guess I don't really know how they came about it. I imagine they heard some stuff going on the previous night, and they knew they were Morgan Wallen's neighbor. Mm. And just went and were like, oh, Morgan Wallen's with his friends. Let's see what they were talking about. And then they heard him drop the N-word, and then they're like, wow, this will get a lot of publicity. Yeah. He, and it did. <laughs> Which it did. You um, correct. Yeah. No, I don't – I think it depends. And, like, it's kind of the same situation where, like, people are in jail for life for very small things that sometimes, like, selling weed, like, that's legal now. Like, that shit blows my mind. Yeah, absolutely. That sucks. That person's whole life is ruined. And they're in jail their whole life for that tiny little thing that was, you know, case by case, but innocent, really. Um, I don't know. I don't – that's such a – like, ruining somebody's life on that scale, like, can't <coughs> canceling them. There's very few things that I think are deserving of that. Right, and obviously, not to put lifetime imprisonment in the same – No. <laughs> in the same <laughs> level as uh, – <laughs> cancel or canceling a superstar or whatever but again yeah. it's, it, it's they do have a lot of parallels right mm-hmm. i mean so and I, yeah I, I i didn't even really think about that but yeah people who sold pot sorry that's just the first thing i was no thinking it, of. it makes sense and I, I guess i never even put the two and two together and again not that they're the same thing in any way shape or form mm-hmm. but people and joe rogan on his podcast talks about this all the time i love joe rogan yeah, it's a really great podcast. Mm-hmm. So good. <laughs> um, talks about, you know, how fucked up it is to have someone serving life, especially right now. I mean, even for psychedelics, like any kind of mushrooms, acid and stuff like that. I mean, I, I get it. On, like I, I get certain jail time, right? Yeah. I do not get a life sentence. Me neither. When rapists and people on par with that are somehow getting off. Right. Or getting away with less time. That really just doesn't make sense to me. No. Even if uh, like the the person in jail was carrying a loaded weapon, I'm still like, well, did he shoot a cop? Or did he shoot anybody? Mm -hmm. And it doesn't seem like the punishment fits the crime, right? Right. Yeah. And that, like, the system with that is so corrupt. And, like, I don't even, the thought of somebody being in jail for their whole life makes me like cringe Mm -hmm. and so does the death penalty at the same time like that like think about like your life like 
that's your life. Like, that's the only thing that you you have, you know? And so, like, having, like, being in jail for your whole life, like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, giving people do fucked up shit, dude. And, like, yeah, pe- some people cannot be trusted to go back out into the public after that stuff. But I just can't imagine spending the rest of my life locked up in a cell. Right. And there's, I mean, there's obviously circumstances where I'm like, like you just said, you, I mean, even if it was out of anger or some sort of very intense emotion that you committed that crime, mm-hmm. I still think there's scenarios where, yeah, you should probably be in jail the rest of your life because you took someone's kid away from them Yeah. out of, you know, just to speak to a certain case. And I'm not going to name the case, but someone killing his ex-girlfriend, I'm yeah. just like, yeah. I mean, how can you act in such raw emotion that you take someone's life away like that? Right. Yep. Like, I'm with you. I've never been in that position in my life. I mean, yeah, I've been like, oh, my God, I want to hurt that person. Mm-hmm. But I've never been like, I want them to be absent early on in life, like when they're fucking 20 years old. Right. And have their family never see them grow up to be a real adult and functioning member of society. Mm-hmm. That's how mad I am at that person. Right. So in cases like that, I pretty much have no sympathy but again, for nonviolent crimes or even, you know, some cases of assault, I guess, like a bar fight where you're doing a certain amount of years, I'm like, okay, why don't we just – I mean, even if they are doing that amount of time, they're not doing the correct rehabilitation mm-hmm. in these prisons. To yeah, the resources aren't there. Yeah, exactly, to mm-hmm. make them better when they leave. They're more likely to go to prison after they're right. out. Well, and I know nothing about this, just to preface, but I – just the way the way that that all that stuff works is just super odd to me and a lot of it is behind the scenes and Mm -hmm. you don't actually know what happens and it's really scary and back to what you said like you would never you've never been that mad where you want to take somebody's life that's where you have to take into consideration like mental disabilities and like some people like do not know what they're do not like their head's not on straight and like that's another huge thing. Like, how do you even, how do you treat that? How do you evaluate that? Like, how does that justify doing something as terrible as that? Right. And again, yeah, that you're right. There are a lot of variables, a lot of moving parts to where it's, <sighs> cases are, some cases are very different, but they're treated the same. Mm-hmm. And so it's hard to distinguish that when you're making that decision. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I think, rehabilitation is key right i mean if they go through intense psychoanalysis and they're looking at these things then maybe they can find an out and maybe they can find a way to help this person but it seems like and that kind of is reflective on our culture as a whole should have probably been caught preemptively in some form or another yeah um or at least indicated in some form or another right yeah like there's there's so many complex so many complex like problem solving things that we have out there that we should be able to catch this before it happens um and should be able to again you can't really prevent this stuff from happening but have a way of detecting people who are more um more likely to commit such a crime Mm -hmm. like I, i guess we have like some standard of having that but like like Background cops check. in certain areas yeah, yeah exactly but mm-hmm. other things i'm sure there's more we could do that we're not doing yeah i just don't even i wouldn't even know the first thing about how to do that uh and like 
a lot of people that commit these crimes you would never suspect. And that's the scariest part. I remember my mom told me one time that 90% of um, rape victims know know the person that did it. It's like a family friend or someone close yeah, to the family. Yeah, isn't that? Or family. Yeah, like, oh my god, how could you ever see that coming? How could you ever stop that? Like, And you couldn't. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know. I think it's a really slippery slope, and it's really scary to think about and there's a lot of stuff that yeah we could be doing but we don't know what that stuff is yeah that's true i mean how are we supposed to know that a close family member of yours is sick in the head and gonna molest you as a child right you couldn't know that why would you know that right um so yeah i mean that makes sense i mean obviously i guess and the only thing i can compare this to is a movie where they are basing these people's lives off of like test scores financial decisions and stuff like that which it would be way too invasive obviously in real life but again like there's got to be there's probably what some way that? um i forget what it's called i watched it a long time ago try and remember send it to me okay i will if i remember <laughs> but yeah i mean it's just again you can't predict everything you can't predict but i mean i feel like you could kind of I don't, again it's really hard to say but i feel like there is a way a non-invasive way to bring to light a lot more individuals who might be mentally ill committing mm-hmm. these crimes than just regular people mm-hmm. versus well, after the fact and saying oh well this person is obviously not right in the head now they're stuck in prison but also going to be getting you know mental health help throughout their life sentence in prison it's like well let's just throw them in there and save the money Right, yeah. And then that's where, like, the death penalty comes into play because it's, like, one, a financial issue of what costs more, like... Keeping someone in life or prison or killing them? Right, which the answer is clear, like... um, But back to what you said, like, you would never take somebody's life. You would never be that mad. I, I, my personal belief is that we don't have the right to take another human life and, like, I don't... I don't support that, you know. I think I would group those in the same category, but that's just how my brain works. Yeah, and I guess I'm – I don't really know. I, I guess the death penalty to me and the, at the rate that it's committed, luckily, I mean, there's a lot of – people sit on death row for ever, however many years, right? Mm-hmm. And then they're eventually killed, but it's like, well – that was a lot of money. Speaking from a financial standpoint of view, that's a lot of money to put into killing someone and then keeping them alive until you're going to kill them. Right. Um, but at the same rate, it doesn't make sense to keep those per- people alive for the rest of their lives or however long they're going to live mm-hmm. serving their life sentence, which probably wouldn't be as big of a problem if people who were selling drugs and small, minuscule crimes weren't incarcerated for the rest of their lives as well, right? Right. And that would save a lot of money, <laughs> too. Again, I don't know anything. I, I have no statistics to base this off of besides, like, news articles I've read. Yeah, so I'm with So most you. of this is coming from opinion, so don't fact-check Same. me on that. Yeah. Or, I mean, you can fact-check me on that, but it's going to be a lot <laughs> of work. Basically, neither of us know anything, and we're just gossiping. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's good. <laughs> Better to gossip about this than people. Yep. I agree. <laughs> <coughs> Let's see what else I have on my list of topics. Ooh, yeah. 
so we were talking about before we start the podcast, um, you know, having divorced parents mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So kind of, I guess if, I mean, if you don't want to talk about it, that's absolutely fine as well. But what was that kind of like, what was the situation like growing up for you? So maybe I guess to start, how old were you when your parents, your biological parents got a divorce? Yeah, my parents got divorced when I was seven. Um, and my sister was five and my younger brother was three. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I, I'm completely fine talking about this, but it's not pretty. Like my mom, my mom and my dad would fight all the time. It was no surprise. I can, I do have like, you know, those flashbulb memories. Have you ever heard of that? Mm-hmm. Like where, you know, exactly <coughs> what you were doing when something huge happened. I remember the minute, like, I was sitting on my dad's lap, and they told me we were getting, a, they were getting a divorce. Um, and of course, I cried because that's what you do when you're seven, and your parents are getting a divorce. But it was for the best, absolutely. Right, um, but I mean, did you think that at the time? I mean, you, I, mean no. I guess situation was different, but no, you didn't. No, I I was ruined by it. Um, and I mean, it would have been different, and it's so maybe I don't know. Um your like context with this or how your your parents divorce was um but i have friends where their parents got divorced and it was so civil and it was so clean and they were great at communicating my parents got restraining orders on each other we were exchanged at the police station every week um we were in court every month um we were in court ordered therapy the police were at my house three times a week like it was very, very messy, um, and those were some of the most hopeless years of my life, um, and I thank God I had my siblings to go through that with, um, but it's it's brought a perspective where I am not marrying somebody unless I'm sure. Right. Like, absolutely sure, you know, because I'm not putting my kids through that, that's for sure. So, okay, so you were seven when that happened, right? Mm-hmm. I guess, and I guess for me, when I, my parents got divorced when I was in seventh grade, so I was 13, 11 or 12. 11, yeah. And for me, it was like, it was a very, like you said, it was a very civil divorce, not anywhere like yours, like mm-hmm. your parents. Um, but again, I think, especially in middle school, when everything is awkward as mm-hmm. it is, yeah. Kind of having to explain to my friends that my parents got a divorce and especially why they got a divorce mm-hmm. was like my biggest fear. I did not want to tell anybody my mom was gay at the time, mm-hmm. especially in Berthoud and of all places. Mm-hmm. Um, Is that why they got divorced? Yeah. Gotcha. My mom. Yeah. So my mom came out as gay and <coughs> um, that's why they separated. And so that was, I mean, I, I, I really didn't have a huge problem. <coughs> you okay? Sorry, I'm just dying a little bit. That's okay. <laughs> the bronchitis or the walking pneumonia we don't know could be a healthy combination of both yeah or covid (laughs) or covid awesome (laughs) um but yeah i I remember like the biggest thing for me wasn't that my parents got divorced it was that my mom came out as gay and i was like like i I didn't really care but i knew like i was gonna be you know everyone was like oh your mom's gay (laughs) right make fun of you for all this shit yeah so i guess I don't know what the situation was like for you going back to school or being around your friends and how that was like how obviously you were young enough to where your parents like like told their parents and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. So I guess what was that kind of like your social life? I don't (coughs) and I've gone over this in therapy countless times 
and I like my brain has psychologically blocked this out for me because it was the worst time um I don't remember like telling my friends about it I don't remember like the social repercussions of it I do remember I was in divorce group in at school with with other kids whose parents were getting divorced okay um and they all knew that I had it really bad because social services would show up and and I would get pulled out of class all the time and I would get pho- phone calls to my classroom saying we need to see Emma the police are here to see Emma and like everybody knew that and that was really hard and that judgment was really hard and the curiosity in the eyes I know that was really hard yep. um but it was just normal after a while this went on until i was 18 years old like this did not stop like this was my entire life and i couldn't see a way out of it until i was 18 and i could leave you know and that was the hardest thing was oh okay well like it, it feels hopeless it feels like i'm wasting half of my life just waiting and waiting for the opportunity to speak for myself and make my own decisions. Um, and fi- thank God I made it through. You know, there were times when I didn't think I would. Um, but, I mean, I had I had great people around me. I had great resources at school. <coughs> um, <laughs> social justice system is fucked up. For a while I wanted to go into, into that because, I mean, not to get, like, too too into it but like we would have policemen and social workers like come into my my house and take pictures of bruises and not do shit about it and just go home and like that's the hopeless part like you've never felt hopeless until until literally it doesn't matter what's happening to you and you can't control it you know um but i mean that was i guess what i'm trying to say is that was so hard that it didn't matter how I was getting treated at school. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's fair. Yeah, <coughs> it didn't matter. Yeah, and I, obviously, <sighs> I feel good or better that my situation <laughs> wasn't like that. No, every situation <coughs> is different. Um, so yeah, I guess seeming worrying about what kids thought at school <laughs> seems minuscule <laughs> compared to what you had to deal with. Yeah, I mean, I never thought about it until you asked me. I don't remember. Okay. I don't know. I because never you were so focused on the issue I at guess. hand, the bigger issue, right? Yeah, I guess so. And also, school is my happy place. I didn't want to go home. <laughs> my dad, to punish us, God, this is just like a, everyone feel bad for Emma. No, no one feel bad for me. I'm fine. But my dad <laughs> would punish us by not taking us to school the next day or by by um, taking us to school late or not letting us go to cross-country practice. Because that's where I wanted to be so badly instead of being at home. Right. You know? So I loved my friends. I loved being at school. I loved the bad people at school. Like, I was just happy to be there. Yep. So happy to be there. Yeah, I mean, and obviously, again, not to say our situations were similar. Mm-hmm. Because mine weren't. Mine wasn't. But... Again, I do feel that, yeah, I was definitely, I never wanted to go home. I Because, I mean, half for me, it was carrying around a duffel bag 
when I was going to be switching parents' houses, right? You know, yeah, I, you I pack asked, your outfits for the week. Exactly. <laughs> I told my teacher, I was like, hey, can I keep this in your uh, yes, classroom yes. until I have to go because I don't want to carry on a duffel bag <laughs> Oh, all day. my God. I've never related to something more. <laughs> and they just look at you like, oh, my God. They're like, of course, that's fine. But they're just looking at you like, holy shit. Like, yeah. I mean, but they pity you, and mm-hmm. I'm just like, I don't want pity. I just need a place to put my goddamn duffel yeah. bag. And like, you try not to think about it at the time, <laughs> but you can definitely, I definitely look back on it, and I'm just like, oh man, like they, they knew. Yeah, exactly. They knew exactly what was going on, mm-hmm. and they were, I mean, luckily none of them really tried to patronize me with any other bullshit like that. But it was, you know, you could tell what they knew what was going on. Yeah. And like, probably same with the kids. I'm sure my friend's parents told them the situation and what was going on and why I had a duffel bag and why their parents had to communicate with my dad or my mom on a weekly basis, depending on who I was with. Right. But yeah, so I I do get that, that school and sports and friends was a major escape for, you know, whatever situation you were in, most likely it was just more constant, right? Your friends were always constant. Your classes were constant. Sports were constant when your home life was not. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I can absolutely relate to that. And I mean, like, our situations were different in the way that, like, like I oh, I felt awful if you were getting bullied for that, you know? Mm-hmm. Nobody bullied me because my parents were getting divorced. Like, everyone felt so bad for me. Um, I always had that support. Right. So, I mean, that was a <coughs> plus side of my situation. Nobody ever thought I did anything wrong, you know. Right, and that's good. Yeah, exactly. And like, for the most part, your friends like <coughs> it's it's not very common anymore to get made fun of for having divorced parents, right? Mm-mm. Like, it, it's such a common thing that yeah, even like people don't even ask about it. Like, oh, you're like going over to your mom's or your dad's today, right? Right. And that's like the good thing about it versus mm-hmm. whenever, however many years ago, if your parents were divorced, it was like, oh my god, you are must have a fucked up family, right? Now it's just so common. Yeah, which is a good thing and a bad thing, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, a lot of people will be like, oh, that's so sad. Yeah, it's really sad, but also people are making the right decisions for themselves. You fuck up and marry someone you end up not wanting to be with or someone that – that's what I I firmly believe that, like, this is the only situation – like, one of the only things where, like, I'm like, yeah, you should get divorced. Like, if somebody cheats on you – yeah, dude, divorce that person. Like, because yeah, if you think it's only gonna happen once, oh, you're ninety percent of the time you're wrong. Right. Um, I don't know. I think I think it doesn't always have to be a super sad thing. I think people are standing up for themselves, mm-hmm. and at the end of the day, if that's what's gonna make them happy, do it. You know. Yeah, exactly. Whereas but don't. But do it in a civil way, right. how your parents did it. You know, and kids are first. And if it's not civil, don't make your kids a part of it. Right. right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, that that's exactly what I and mean. And yeah, I mean, especially your story and countless others i've heard i'm just like so thankful that my parents were had such a civil divorce yeah i'm sure there was drama going on behind the scenes that i didn't see but mm-hmm. the fact that i wasn't that i didn't see them i am still just like i mean you guys did the best you could with the situation at hand right yeah totally and i think that's a really great example that you grew up looking at and viewing and and being like okay well that's how i want to raise my kids mm-hmm. you know um because I think that line gets crossed far too often now, um, the, like, parent-child line, where, like, my mom for years would call me crying about my stepdad. And that is something where um, 
I couldn't do it anymore. I had to set those boundaries and like that should have never happened in the first place, you know. That's right. a, that's a line that it shouldn't be crossed. There's yeah, exactly. There's absolutely a balance between being a parent and being a friend. Mm-hmm. And I think you're right, especially it seems more common now where and growing up, you look back on it, it's like, oh, that kid, you know, was able to tell his mom all this shit and tell him to fuck off and stuff like that. And you think it's funny, but it's like, well, that dynamic is unhealthy. Yes. Like, again, in that situation where your mom is calling you crying, it's a moment of weakness, however many moments of weakness. And it's like, it, it's good that she could open up to you like that. But mm-hmm. at some point, you have to remind yourself, well, I'm a parent and I need to have some sort of composure in front of my kids so that they have a constant role model right so they have a co- yes. like they don't see who they look up to doing these things mm-hmm. whether whatever that might be and right. crying to your kid is not the worst of things that could happen but no. again it's like there needs to be situations where you are composed and you are able to handle yourself and you know reach out to a friend or a therapist or someone else that is more apt to handle that than your kids right and that's ultimately what I had to do. I was like, okay, well, I feel like shit all the time. I feel so guilty for being in school and living my own life and being happier than my mom, who's supposed to, like, set this this standard for me. And I had to go to therapy or else I wasn't going to, like, I couldn't do it anymore, you know. Um, and I, I know you, you've been there, too. Like, there comes a point where you need that um, neutral – maybe not neutral but that unbiased opinion and you need somebody to to listen to this is what's going on right what do i do now Mm -hmm. you know somebody who's not involved in your life right exactly they can't take sides they can Mm -mm. only speak from a third-party perspective yes yeah and i think everybody could could benefit from from that Mm -hmm. and benefit from therapy and unfortunately it's not available to everybody but help me a lot (laughs) yeah absolutely yeah. I mean, I guess therapy wasn't – and maybe it's because I'm a guy and it's, like, <laughs> you know, very unmasculine to go talk to someone about your feelings. Right. But – You've never cried, right? What do you mean? You've never cried, right? Uh, no, never. never. I never cry. Nope. No. Cool. I go and punch things and yes. stuff like that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, yeah, like, therapy – and, I again, I – it's not like I'm unopened to the idea. I've seen multiple therapists, but it's like, okay, I think we're kind of – it always seems to go down like a certain track that doesn't seem – have anything to do with like my anxiety or anything like that, right? And so I guess like for me, therapy, I, I just haven't found the right fit. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to find the right fit. But I do think therapy is, especially in cases like this, very beneficial and can ultimately shape you to be – happier and a better person Mm -hmm. yeah it's about reflecting on yourself and the decisions that you've made and the way that you treat other people right and if you're a kid and you don't like if you're a kid you don't have any outlet to speak out and say everything like you i mean you probably couldn't vent to your friends about everything that was going on right no they wouldn't know how to process it just as you didn't know how to process your mom's emotions when she called you right and so to do that in a professional environment you know with someone who's experienced in that it it can help immensely because otherwise you don't learn how to deal with those emotions you don't learn to 
properly comprehend what's going on and how mm-hmm. to react to it. Right. Yeah. <coughs> and I mean, I think that even even though I, I try to do the best for myself and, and get that help, I grew up hating so many things that I love now because they were forced on me. Mm-hmm. Like, I had to go to therapy when I was seven, like, group therapy with my family. I didn't want to do that. And, like, just the other thing is that, like, my parents did not agree on a religion to teach us before having us. My mom would go on business trips and my dad would take us to church and tell us not to tell her. Like, yeah. So it was like playing your cards, you know, like it was all just, it was all just a mess. And like, it took me so long to like come back to therapy. I was like something that I could use to help because I was just so against it because of what it was tied to. Um, And same with, god and religion and everything else Yeah, absolutely i mean you can't ultimately benefit from it if it's not you're like you choosing it making yourself to go do it right yeah um and that's comes down to pretty much everything like mm-hmm. you can't <laughs> my brother who is an addict has time and time again been to therapy because he was either forced to by the law or he felt apt to because of family but it was never for him and so it's never worked. Right. And it's the same shit. I mean, you're, you're forced to go to therapy as a kid. I was forced to go to therapy as well. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, well, I don't want to be here. And you can't force me to talk about anything that I don't want to. Yep. <laughs> and it's all about that power position you put yourself uh-huh. in. And have you ever gone back, like, after that? Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> once I start getting, like, I get pretty severe panic attacks. Yeah. Um, I've tried to go to therapy for that on my own and stuff like that. Like, I need to go talk about this with someone but i haven't seen like a lot of benefits from it and again maybe it's i haven't found the right person maybe Mm -hmm. mine's not as psychological based as i thought maybe Mm -hmm. it's not some trauma that's pending in my head Mm -hmm. but you know it is what it is i think for the most part therapy does work in some form or another if you love it yeah well i think it just goes down to having somebody that you can trust with (coughs) your insecurities and like Ashley, like your fiance, like that's your person. Mm-hmm. Like she's helped you through that shit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think therapy's just really helped me when I haven't had that person. Yep. You know, absolutely. Um, and I find myself like after I got out of my four-year-long relationship was when I started going to therapy and when I really saw that working for me because I didn't have that person anymore. Right, you don't have and that like support it's, system. It's just about having that person and somebody who's gonna support you and hold your hand. You know. Yep. No matter what that looks like. Exactly. Yeah. Very good. Well, we are at an hour and forty-three <laughs> minutes. It's pretty good. That is pretty good. <coughs> how um, long? How long do you usually? About this much, or sometimes two hours, depending on who I'm talking to. Yeah. It but feels shorter than that. It does, yeah, as it tends to if you are talking about mm-hmm. interesting stuff, right? Mm-hmm. <coughs> but I have to pee. I do too. So <laughs> we'll wrap this up. Um, thank you again for coming on. Thank you. It was awesome talking to you. You too. Especially about stuff like this and not everybody can relate to. Yeah. For the most part, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, thanks for coming on. It was great having you on. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs>